if you think about this, the fact that heaven and earth flee away prior to the great white throne judgment actually commencing, uh, it just simply says in one, in one way that there's no place left for sinners to hide. Everyone is going to have to appear before the judge, every sinner who has ever lived and died. And so far we have seen then court has been convened and the judge is seated on the throne. And by the way, it is a throne, not a bench, because this judge happens to also be a king. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. And so we have seen court convened and the judge on the throne. And next we see the summons. We see the summons. Verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Notice that we see a judge, but no jury. We see defendants, but no defense attorneys. That's because there are no lawyers in heaven. That's, that's, that's in part what makes it heaven. No, I'm only kidding if you're an attorney here. But notice we have a judge, but no jury. We have defendants, but no defense attorneys. And that is because, folks, listen, this is not a trial. This is a sentencing procedure. This is not a trial. This is a sentencing procedure. John said in verse 12, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. This is talking about bodily resurrection now. It said earlier that the dead, after the first resurrection, you had the thousand years. And after the thousand years, John said earlier in chapter 20, the rest were going to be, you know, resurrected. Well, that's happening right here. But we know it's a bodily resurrection because the souls of those people who have died in their sins have been in Hades and they've been fully conscious this whole time, this whole thousand years. We've talked about that. We read from Luke 15. How that the rich man and Lazarus and the, uh, the rich man who was an unbeliever died and went into Hades and lifted up his eyes in torment and so on. He was fully conscious. He was in pain. He didn't, wasn't sleeping. There's no such thing as soul sleep. When the Bible talks about sleep, it's always referring to the body. It's the body that sleeps until the resurrection of the righteous or the unrighteous. But the idea is the word for resurrection in the Greek is anastasis and it literally means to stand again. And so these people stand again. Their bodies have been raised, and now they are standing before God in body and soul, joined again together. Now, when John said the small and great, that doesn't refer to their stature, you know, the tall and the short. It refers to their importance in life. Here we have a picture of Judgment Day, and the small, in other words, the slave and the poor, the insignificant and the unimportant, are standing right next to the great, the kings and the presidents of the earth, the senators and the CEOs, the rich and the famous, along with all the so-called intellectuals who mocked the existence of God, all the famous whose life song was, I did it my way, in defiance of God. And of course, those who were too cool for God, who made fun out of God and those that believed in him, all of these people are going to be resurrected to stand before the Lord. It's just interesting to me that God is no respecter of persons. And here we see all of these, the so-called somebodies and the lowly nobodies, all standing before God on equal ground and all bound together by their common willful unbelief. Listen, 
These are those who rejected the love of the truth, the gospel, which would have saved them from this terrifying day. And now they stand before the one who loved them and gave himself for them, who they rejected as their loving Savior. And now they stand before him, and he becomes their righteous judge. The Bible says it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And so in verse 13, as we're still working with or talking about the summons, people are being summonsed to stand before the judge. And uh, verse 13 says, The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. From where do these dead come from? I mean, you know, God is summonsing these people. Well, it talks about death and Hades. Death would be the physical grave, which the body was buried into, right? Hades is the place where the soul went. We've just talked about that uh, until this resurrection. So you have really what's talking about the physical body and the spiritual soul of man. The soul, of course, has been fully conscious this whole time in Hades being tormented. The body, of course, of the unbelievers have gone back into the have gone into the grave, back into the earth, have uh, decomposed and so on. But now God resurrects the body and removes the soul out of Hades, unites the two, and they stand before God for the final judgment. Now, he also mentions the sea gave up the dead who were in it. There's no sinner that escapes. A lot of people, of course, have never been buried in the earth. They have died at sea. And so I think that these are the ones, you know, people have a problem figuring out, well, how God's good, how is God going to do this? Because, you know, what about the people that were, you know, died in fires or were blown apart in explosions? Or how is God going to, you know, and, and the sea is one of those problems that they have. How could people die in the sea and God, you know, somehow resurrect their body? Well, I like what J. Vernon McGee said. He said, and I quote, multitudes who have gone to a watery grave in which the chemicals of their bodies have been dissolved in the waters of the sea will be raised. God will have no problem with this. After all, they are only atoms. He just has to put them together again. He did it once. He can do it again. The graves on earth will give up their bodies, and Hades, the place where the spirits of the lost go, will disgorge for this judgment. So don't worry about how God's going to do it, right? God knows what he's doing. God knows where every atom is in the universe, and especially those that, that belonged at one time to the physical bodies of these dead unbelievers. And he's going to bring these bodies back if they're in the sea and they've been dissolved and eaten by fish and whatever it might be, he's able to bring all the chemicals and atoms together to reconstitute the unbelieving body, to have it resurrected and stand before him on this judgment day. Well, we've seen the summons, okay? The small and great now standing before God. Next, we see the judgment. In Revelation 12, once again, it says, John said, I saw the dead and small and great standing before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. 
Jesus Christ is going to judge these unsaved people on the basis of what is written in, it says, the books, plural. You say, well, what books? Well, first of all, I believe it's going to be, the first book is going to be the Word of God. The Word of God. Jesus said in John 12, verse 48, He who rejects me does not, and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. So the first book that these unbelievers will be judged by will be the word of God. God's righteous standard. God's righteous, holy word. And I'll say this to you. Every person who stands before the Lord, every sinner who has been resurrected and stands before the Lord at this time, as the books are open and the first book is the word of God, you're going to have some people greatly protesting. Because they're going to be judged, all these folks, they're going to be held accountable for the truth that they have heard. The problem is with many, they heard a lot but did little with it. They were hearers but not really doers. They professed to know God but in works they denied him. These folks are actually going to be shocked. and They're going to plead vociferously their case to God that we were in church. We, we did a lot of good works for you, Lord. Why are we being sent to hell? Remember the scene on Judgment Day that Jesus gave us a preview of, a little glimpse of? Matthew 7, verse 21. He said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, this is the day we're talking about, Judgment Day, the great white throne. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. See, God is going to judge people, not only for how much they knew about the truth, but how much they live the truth. We're talking about unbelievers now, okay? I'm talking about those that stand before God. I mean, obviously the ones that came to church, heard the truth every week, but just didn't do anything with it, are going to be judged more severely than those who really didn't have a Bible study or a church to attend or could get their hands on a Bible. You say, well, then how could God judge them, and th them at all? It doesn't sound fair. They didn't have the word. Well, they still had God's revelation in creation and conscience, and Paul says in Romans 1 and 2, that was, is such a good source of revelation that anyone who maintains there is no God, God will judge them on the on basis of the fact that the creation declares the glory of God and the heavens show forth His handiwork. The creation uh, testifies to the existence of God. It speaks a universal language that everybody on the face of the earth can understand because we can all see the creation. And looking into the creation, we should be able to see that it could never have happened by accident. The idea that this came about through a gigantic explosion some 18 billion years ago is absolutely ridiculous. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. I mean, everything around us, including ourselves, speaks of design. You can't have design without a designer. So it's just common sense. And if that's not enough, God gives not only the outward testimony of the creation, but the inward testimony of the conscience, because he has written his laws in our hearts. If we're just the product of random accidents and mutations and chemical processes, where did morality come from? Things like compassion and mercy, which would um, undermine the very foundation upon which evolution is built. Evolution is the survival of the fittest. 
the strong killing the weak to make, you know, those that are the strongest even stronger. Where did mercy and compassion come from? That comes from the heart of God and testifies to his existence. So, first of all, the first book is going to be the word of God, of course, God's holy and righteous standard. The second, I believe, is going to be the ledger of God. The ledger of God. What is this ledger? Well, it's what Paul called in Colossians 2, verse 14. In the New American Standard Bible translates it, Paul said, the certificate of debt consisting of degrees against us. Well, the New Living Translation puts it this way, the record that contained the charges against us. See, the Bible says that every sin that a person commits against God's law, and folks, the Ten Commandments is just a small tip of the iceberg. The law of God is much bigger than just the Ten Commandments. We've already talked about this numerous times. 613 laws in the Torah. 365 negative, thou shalt not. 248 positive, thou shalt. All of these together make up the law of God. Now, there's three divisions of the law. You had the ceremonial, which dealt with their religious life. You had the civil parts of the law, which dealt with their national life. And then you had the moral law, which deals with everyone's life, right? And so the idea is that every time a person breaks one of God's commandments, one of his laws, God considers it as a debt that he or she owes him, a debt that has to be paid. You know, when a person commits crimes against society and they are convicted and sentenced, uh, after they finish their, you know, time that they have to serve, uh, when they get out of prison, we often say, well, they have paid their debt to society. Because we as a society recognize when somebody breaks laws, they have violated the laws of society. They have sinned against the society. And so they have to make amends for that. They have to pay for those crimes. And so they have to pay that debt to society. The same is true with the holy God. And God keeps very meticulous records, by the way. He knows every thought, every word, every action that has violated his laws at any time in a person's life. And every sin is a crime against the holy God and is written in his book, his ledger. And they must, listen, they must be paid for. Because a righteous judge cannot just let guilty people go without them paying for their crimes, right? And the Bible says that God is the righteous judge of all the earth. Now, even an earthly judge, if he's a righteous judge or she's a righteous judge, when somebody stands before them and they've been accused of crimes and they've actually been, um, they've you know, confessed to it, basically, it's obvious they are guilty. If that judge is a righteous judge, they can't say, well, you know, I know you're, you're guilty, but you got a nice face. I'm going to let you go. There would be a public outcry, rightly so, because we demand that when a crime is committed, that person has to pay for that crime. The same is true in God's court. God is the righteous judge of all the earth, cannot look the other way when sin has been committed, when a crime against his law has been committed. All of that goes into our ledger. Every sin, whether it be a bad thought or a bad deed or gossip or something unkind that we have said, is a sin against the holy God and goes into our ledger. And that debt accumulates over the course of our life. Just as Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 14, For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. 
Paul the Apostle even tells us that, you know, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness, the things that were done in secret, but also will reveal the motives of the heart. So every, you know, hateful thought, every lustful thought, everything that we thought in our hearts, every motive for what we did, God knows about and is going to bring out on that day, if you're an unbeliever. Now, obviously, as Christians, we rejoice in the fact that Jesus Christ came down to the earth for one reason, and that was to pay our debt. That was the pair debt. We know that. Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6, we've all pretty much memorized these verses. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, Jesus came down to pay our debt to become our substitute, the innocent, dying for the guilty. In Colossians 2.14, Paul said, having canceled out the certificate of debt. See, that's what we're talking about. This is the ledger, right? The certificate of debt, the ledger that contains all the sins I've ever committed. Jesus Christ came to, by his blood, cancel all that out for those who receive him. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. Of course it was, because every sin on that ledger had to be paid for. The more sins, the greater the payment required or the judgment that would come. But Jesus has taken it out of the way, Paul said, having nailed it to the cross. Of course, when Jesus hung on that cross before he, dis he bowed his head and dismissed his spirit, we all know what he said it is finished. To tell us die, which means also paid in full. Paid in full. If someone has said, I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. Now, if a person refuses to receive what Jesus Christ has done on their behalf, if they refuse his death on the cross that alone can make full payment for all of their sins, then listen. They're going to have to stand before God someday at the great white throne judgment. They're going to have to face God, and they're going to hear him say to them that they are going to be required now to pay for all those sins themselves, which is going to take eternity. It's going to take eternity. I mean, if they refuse to receive Jesus' payment for their sins, then they have to pay then their own sins, which means they will be sentenced to an eternity in the lake of fire. And I think, again, part of the problem today is the church in America has gotten away from preaching about hell. And when you remove hell from preaching, you remove the fear of God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is to hate evil, the right of the Proverbs says, right? I mean, the Bible says of the wicked, there is no fear of God before their eyes. That's why they do wickedly. They're not afraid of God. Why aren't they afraid of God? Because they really don't think there's a day of reckoning coming, or they have so deluded themselves into thinking that they're such good people that it's not going to matter. I mean, I've heard them. I, again, I, I, you know, I know I'm okay. I'm a good person. And, and on that day when I stand before God, I'm, God, I'm going to plead my case, and I'm going to let him know all the good things I've done. And, and I believe he'll be fair. I believe that he'll listen, and, and he'll reward me according to my works. That's exactly what he's going to do. And that's what you do not want. 
again, I like what J. Vernon McGee said. Yes, my friend, you will be able to get a fair trial there. Your life is on tape, and Jesus Christ the judge happens to have the tape. I think he will have it on a television screen so that you can watch it too. You know, kind of like a, this is your life. Do you think your life can stand the test? Are you willing to stand before God and have him play the tape of your life? I do not know about you, but I could not make it. Thank God for his grace, for by grace are ye saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. I just picture that day, you know. You know, we live in the generation of jumbotrons and all that, you know. And, and I just believe God's got this jumbotron in heaven. I mean, he's got this gigantic, you talk about a silver screen, this is gigantic, right? I mean, it's probably stretched out between galaxies, right? And, you know, people are going to come up before him on the day of judgment. I'm convinced they're going to be telling themselves during a thousand years they're in Hades, there must be some terrible mistake. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day. day, by day.